One of the things that happens to me on a weekly basis, sometimes more than others, but one of the things that happens to me on a weekly basis is an awareness of how amazing our God is and how much I have yet to learn, and how much I have yet to, to understand and to grow and appreciate about who our God is and, and what He has done and what He continues to do. Sometimes it's a little overwhelming. Sometimes I, I just uh, wonder if I can really process it, if I can really, really handle it. And I've concluded I can't. It's just way too much. Uh, I can't handle it. I can't, I can't uh, really figure it out. The one thing I have learned is that I have to allow God to do in me what He wants to do, whatever that might be. And you know, when you come to this whole subject of, of worship and the priority of God with worship, I personally have to tell you that, uh, especially this last week, I found myself uh, truly overwhelmed, overwhelmed by the, by the lack of worship. Not, not looking around me, not looking at anybody else, but just recognizing in my own life how deficient I am when it comes to worship. And so as we, as we start today, once again, I want to remind all of us, um, I want to remind all of us, point number one, that we were created to worship God. Created to worship God. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Everything was created for God's pleasure. We were created for His pleasure. I want to take you just briefly, if you'll travel with me, to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and God's creation. God created the heavens and the earth. God created the light. God created the day and the night. God created everything that He created. And He always said each day at the end of the day, well, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. And we have to agree, right? It is good. It's good. But trees and bugs and animals and flowers and oceans, all of those things, they do exactly what they were told to do and designed to do. They have their own process and season and so on and and they do, they do what they were created to do. And you don't find God anywhere in Scripture. And I know I'm stretching it because this is maybe a little bit of a wild concept here. But you don't see God anywhere in Scripture indicating that He created trees so He could come down and hug one. You don't, you don't see God making the ocean and the waves and everything else so he could just sit there and have them, them come up and kind of slap on him and give him five. God is, God is so accurate when he says about everything that he created that it was good. It was good. But nothing that God created, the animals, nothing that he created, trees, flowers, all of that... Stars, 
none of those things are things that he has fellowship with. They are things he made. They are things that he can declare. Look what I did. I am God. But aside from that, folks, the crowning achievement really of creation was something absurd. He created humanity. And he created us to do the one thing that none of the other things he created could do. To worship him. To worship him by choice. Not like robots. By choice. So God created us to be worshipers. It is our divine appointment to worship him. It is man's chief end to be worshipers, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And I think it's really critical to tie those together. If you don't worship, you can't enjoy. You can't. So we were created to be worshipers. And um, I tell you, one of the things that I notice in this process is people have forgotten that they were created to be worshipers. You ask almost anybody these days that's growing up in a home or graduated from school or whatever, and you ask them, you know, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? And over and over again, you have all these things that come out. Why are you here? Where are you going? Well, I'm not sure why I'm here. I'm trying to figure that out. My parents had something to do with it, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. But there's, there's, this, there's this constant sense of trying to figure out why we're here. Classes at college, philosophies, religious institutions, they're all designed to somehow answer the question, why are we here? Where did we come from? Where are we going? In one of A.W. Tozer's book, books, he writes this, he, he talks about the fact that what has happened to humanity is, is almost like what happens to someone who has a severe accident and experiences amnesia. He said at a human scale, it's like someone who wakes up in the hospital after two or three weeks or whatever in a coma, and they have amnesia, and they can't remember who they were, they can't remember where they came from, they don't remember what they did, they don't remember anything about their lives, they don't even remember their names. And so they begin a process of trying to figure that all out and people are trying to help them figure it out. And Tozer says that that's what's happened with humanity. Only it's not amnesia. It is a serious, serious problem. And so I thought it was really critical for us today before we get into this whole thing of calculated worship with regard to truth, I thought it was important for us to understand how we got there. How we got to this place of amnesia. How we got to this place where, where we fail to know who we are, where we came from, and where we're going. So with that in mind, I want to take a brief few minutes and talk to you, number two, about the two major truths about inappropriate worship. Two major truths about inappropriate worship. And the first one is this. The process of going into inappropriate worship 
The process includes, check, check this out, number one, giving other voices equal consideration in your life. That is to say, elevating the voices of those who have no authority and giving them a place of authority in your life. Giving other voices equal consideration. You know, Adam and Eve were created special and God said, God said, boy, that was good. And he said, you guys go be fruitful, multiply, be blessed. It's all here. Enjoy it all. And every day you get the sense that God would spend time with Adam and Eve. They'd hang out together and they would, they would walk and fellowship and they would have this relationship with one another. And in the cool of the day, they would do that. But they made an error in the process. They gave the voice of the evil one just as much credence and authority as the voice of God. They listened. They listened to the voice of the evil one. In Genesis 3, 1 and 4, it says, The serpent said to the woman, The serpent said to the woman, The serpent came and basically told the woman things that were untrue. And she weighed those as though they were on the same level and had the same weight as what God had said. The interaction shows us that in Genesis chapter 3, where she says, no, no, God didn't say that. He said this. And, and he says, yeah, he said that, but. And there's this, this ongoing interaction. And when you start to get your mind and your eyes and your ears focused on those things that are not true, when you give them credence, when you elevate those things, it puts you in a position where you will experience great, great personal pain. Giving other voices equal consideration. Secondly, submitting to creatures that are lower than themselves. That's what they did. They submitted to a creature that was created by God that was lower in rank and authority than they were. The serpent. You know, angels are fascinating things. And they do some incredible stuff in the Bible. They are messengers of God. They are amazing. Angels are amazing. But did you know that angels wonder? And they are just as amazed at what God has done with us as human beings. They can't comprehend how God would do what he did. They don't understand how God can love us. We find ourselves as human beings in a place of greater authority. We are in a place of greater and, and much, more, much more impact when it comes to God's creation and His order and everything else. They submitted to creatures lower than themselves. They submitted to the evil one. Listen to Psalm 8 verses 4 and 6. Is What is man that you take thought of him? Yet you have made him, man, a little lower than God. Think about that. You're not an afterthought. A little lower than God. And you crown him with glory and majesty. Who's that? That'd be you. You. He says you make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. 
So here you have Adam and Eve submitting to creatures lower than themselves, not only elevating what they say, but putting them in a position of greater authority over them than God has allotted in His Word and in His creation. Exchanging, number three, God's truth for lies. Exchanging truth for lies. Romans one twenty five. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Now, just I want you to understand, before we leave this, I want you to understand that this is at the heart of inappropriate worship. This is at the heart of inappropriate worship. This is what leads you to failure. This is what leads you to defeat. Not just then in Genesis, but right now today, March 26, 2017. These are the things that will lead you down the wrong path, cause you great pain and misery in your life. They will not allow you to enjoy Him. They will lead to your disapproval and lack of enjoyment of not only Him, but everybody else around you. At least that's what I've come to understand this week. When you give other voices equal consideration to God's, you're in trouble. When you submit to that which is lower in authority than you, you're in trouble. And when you take God's truth and you exchange it for that which is not true, it leads to utter failure. So look at the consequences of this. This is the process, and you can, you can literally take every situation in your life, and you'll find if you examine it, that these things are true. They are part of your experience when you end up in trouble, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. The consequences, looking at Genesis 3-7, he says, the destruction of innocence occurs. The destruction of innocence, the destruction of purity says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They were no longer innocent. They no longer had a, a sense of, of complete freedom. There was now a cloud over them. Why? Because they worshipped inappropriately. They felt and experienced a guilt and a sense of self-awareness that was not there before. Secondly, there's the inauguration of selfishness. Took office on that day. Genesis 3.8 says, the, That evening they heard the Lord God walking in the garden and they hid, themselves from among the, in a, they hid themselves from Him among the trees. This was a normal experience they had with God, walking and hanging out with God. And then God shows up and they go, Uh-oh. Time to hide. Time to hide. You know, the same thing is true. None of us are, are innocent any longer, and all of us have this propensity toward hiding. Have you ever been in a situation? Now, don't raise your hand or make any major twitches because I, I don't want to expose any of you, but have you ever been in a situation where somebody comes up and they ask you something, and it's, it's obvious, and you know the answer, and the answer is yes, and you say No. Have you, ever, have you ever done that? Never. I remember, I remember, uh, I remember on one occasion, 
so vividly, and it, 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 it rocked me to the core. But I remember Ruth Ann asked me a question. This is a number of years ago, and I won't go into the details, but she asked me, and I said, no. She knew the answer was yes, and I knew the answer was yes. The no. Hmm. See, we are now, as a result of Adam and Eve and their choice to inappropriately worship, all of us are born into inappropriate worship. We're all a bunch of selfish individuals. So you have the inauguration of selfishness. And the third thing you have that's the consequence of this is the introduction of pain and death. Pain and death were not part of the equation in the garden. They were not. Now you have pain and death. And I want to read to you just these verses from Genesis 3, 16, 17 and chapter 2, verse 17. To the woman he said, with pain you will give birth to children. And every mother says amen. You will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. In most translations, it says that your desire will be to your husband, but it doesn't mean an affectionate desire like, oh, I just want, you're so wonderful. No, it, it's your desire will be to control your husband if you understand the Hebrew. But he's going to dominate you. It says to Adam, he said, cursed is the ground thanks to you. In painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It's one of those things that we hate and often talk about. It's a four-letter word called work. Work, work. work. I hate work. <laughs> but get this before we go any further. Just a, just a little tidbit. If you worship, work is not hateful. If you worship, your life is enjoyable. Because of your worship. Anyway, and then Genesis 2.17, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from the tree, when you eat it, you will surely die. Surely die. So these are the consequences. These are the things that have, have brought upon us this state of amnesia. People don't know where they, where they come from. They don't know where they're going. They don't know who they are. Why? Because of inappropriate worship because of a lack of understanding of who God is and why God made them. God didn't make you to be a tree. God didn't make you to be a robot. God made you and designed you so that you would walk in a relationship with Him. That's His purpose. You, you were created to worship Him. You were created to enjoy Him. You exist. You exist. I exist for the purpose of worshiping Him of responding to Him. And so, that's why I say, I found out this week, how my worship is so inadequate. Because as we found out last week, it's not about what happens between the time we spend here in the so-called worship service. It is a matter of total life and experience. And the worship that we experience every single day is a response to Him every single day. And what does that do to us? Because of the, the lack of worship in Adam and Eve and because of what they faced and the consequences of all of that and because of where we are, when you and I begin to worship appropriately, it restores all that. 
It restores all of that. It restores the innocence. It restores us back into that fellowship and that intimacy. It removes that propensity to be selfish and self-centered. See, all that changes when you worship rightly. When you worship rightly. So today, we start a process of looking at what it means to worship rightly, to worship God. In order to worship in truth, in order to respond to God, you and I need to know who God is. You and I need to know who God is. And thankfully, God has not been shy about telling us who He is. <laughs> it's not like hiding it under some bushel somewhere. It's not hide and seek. It's out there in the open. God says, this is who I am. This is who I am. So, now point number three, to worship God rightly requires basic truths. And we start looking at those truths today. We look at several of them, two specifically. But we start with this one, very critical. And before I look, look at it with you, John 4.24 says, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship in truth. It has to be based on truth. We worship God because of who he is, the truth about who he is. Not about the lies, not about any of that other stuff, not about what anybody else says. We worship him in truth. So point number one under three. God is. God is. You got to start right there. To worship appropriately is to worship God. And God is. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, you were God. You are God from everlasting to everlasting. God is. God is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is trying to answer the Corinthians who were having trouble with people eating meat that was offered to idols. Paul was trying to help them to understand that idols have no power. They're nothing. And in response to that, he says this in verse 4 of chapter 8. He says, In this matter, then, of eating food offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing, has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. No God but one. God is. Now you can go and listen to the lies. You can elevate voices. You can submit to creatures lower than yourselves. You can exchange the truth for a lie and be miserable. Go ahead. Excuse me for being so bold. And the reason I can say that so boldly is because all of us have been pr plenty miserable. <laughs> been there, done that, right? Or you can come to the place where you begin to worship rightly and you start with this premise. God is. He doesn't need any proof. He's not trying. I mean, all you got to do is look around, but he's, he's, he's not in need of any explanation. He is. There's all kinds of arguments as to why God is. The fact that there is such an incredible creation that's so intimate and so special and so refined. Everything, everything works the way it's supposed to work. God is. Anyway, we don't want to get 
too much in the weeds there. I want to get to this next one, and that is that God is immutable. God is immutable. <clears throat> immutable means unchangeable and unchanging. God is unchangeable and unchanging. He is not He is not a progressive individual that is constantly changing and altering depending on what happens and where the situations are in the world. God does not change. He's the same. Hebrews says yesterday, today, and forever. Here we find, it says in Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord and I do not change. I don't change. He is immutable, unchangeable, and unchanging. Again, James 1.17, God never changes. He's always the same. He never changes. He's always the same. God is unchangeable and unchanging. And the verse that I mentioned a minute ago, Hebrews 13.8, where it talks about Jesus, says, Jesus the Messiah is the same yesterday and today and forever. And just prior to that, it, it ties Jesus specifically to the fact that he is God. And so God does not change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God that created everything that you read about in Genesis chapter 2 is the same God that exists here today, right now. He does not change. He doesn't change. In a minute, we're going to find out why that is so wonderful that he does not change. The second truth we want to look at today is that God is omnipotent. Omnipotent. A big word just means all-powerful. All-powerful. Fifty-six sometimes the Bible uses the word to describe God as being almighty. All-powerful. So God is immutable. He doesn't change. And God is all-powerful. God is omnipotent. Check, check this out. He says in Isaiah 40, 28, he says, The Lord is the God who lives forever. All-powerful. Lives forever. He created all the world. He does not become tired or need, need to rest. No one can understand how great his wisdom is. Our God is all-powerful. The one we worship doesn't change, not shifting, not moving, not adjusting. And he's all-powerful. Next verse, our God is in heaven doing whatever he wants to do. Psalm 115, verse 3. God is God. God does whatever he wants to do. Check out. Romans 4.17, Abraham believed when he stood in the presence of the God who gives life to dead people and calls into existence things that don't even exist. Talk about power. He's all-powerful. He created everything. He's all-powerful. He does whatever he wants to do. He's all-powerful. He gives life to dead people. There's a resurrection. The Bible says that in the end time, 
when he speaks, every single individual ever born and ever lived on the planet is going to be raised to life or death. The grave's not the end. People think, oh, it's over, you just live, you know, however many years and it's done. When he speaks, everyone is going to be raised. And they are going to receive a judgment at that time. Judgment to life or judgment to death. He is going to bring everyone to that place. Power? Power? Psalm 33, 6 and 9. The heavens were made when the Lord commanded it to happen. He spoke. Check out Genesis 2. He spoke. It was done. The Lord said, let there be. And guess what? There was. All the stars were created by the breath of his mouth. He spoke and the world came into being. He commanded and it stood firm. Stood firm. There's another beautiful passage that talks about how God literally holds all of this together by the word of his mouth. If God would just stop speaking for a second, everything would just go off the rails. It's amazing. Isaiah 44, 24. This is what the Lord says. I, the Lord, made everything. I stretched out the heavens by myself. I spread out the earth all alone. I did it. I did everything. I made it all. I made you. I breathed into you life. I gave you life. I gave you the opportunity to have a relationship with me. You decided to worship in a different manner. So I had to kick you out of the garden. But I love you so much. Humanity, I love you so much that I have a plan devised to bring you back, to redeem you. Talk about power. (coughs) The power to reinstate human beings into a rightful relationship with God. Just like the power he has for creation, he has this power for recreation. And when we respond in worship and say, oh, woe is me, I am undone, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. At that moment, the power of God rushes through, transforms you completely and totally. When you worship, good things happen. When you worship every day of your life, good things happen. It transforms your very existence. James 4.12 says, God is the only judge. He is the only one who can save and destroy. So he doesn't change. And he has all power in heaven and on earth. That's the God we worship. That's the God we respond to. That's the God that we choose to embrace. I'm going to take this last point and then we have a little special surprise for you. The last point is that to worship is to respond with faith and action. With faith and action. I want you to check this out. Most of you know this verse by heart. Hebrews 11:6. A man cannot please God unless he has faith. 
Anyone who comes to God must believe that he is. You have to have faith. You cannot worship rightly without believing that he is. You can't go through the motions. You can't pretend, none of that, because God knows our heart. You have to come to the place where you, by faith, recognize and embrace the truth of who he is. And not only faith, but you have to take action. It says that one must also know that God gives what is promised to the one who keeps on looking for him. God says in Jeremiah 29, 13, when you seek me in worship, you will find me available to you. So to worship is to respond in faith and to worship is to respond by taking steps in response to the truth of who God is. Faith is not a leap into the dark, the abyss. Faith is not jumping off the edge of philosophy. Faith is not choosing something that, that has no basis or foundation. Faith has a foundation and its foundation is God. So we respond to the fact that God doesn't change. What does that do for you? I'll answer that in a minute. We respond to the fact that God is all-powerful. And I'll respond to that also in just a minute. Just a brief response. But in the meantime, I I want you to check out something that that you may have remembered uh, from a while ago, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Remember that? It's kind of fun, isn't it, sometimes when when Hollywood actually gives us a glimpse of what the Bible talks about. So the question I want to ask you and the, the thing I want to leave you with today is this. How do you worship? How do you worship God who is unchanging and unchangeable? How do you worship a God who is all-powerful? How do you do that? Well, as as an individual who is not yet out of amnesia, you make a good decision. You make a good, solid decision to put your trust in in God. That's where it starts. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You step out onto the foundation of God and His Word. If you're somebody that's lost your way, you're kind of wavering. You step out on the fact that he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He does not change. If you're struggling with the adequate amount of power to do the things you need to do, you say with the Apostle Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can. He's all powerful. You say with Paul in Ephesians 3.20, You know what, this is a tough day and a tough situation, but I know that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that I could ever ask or think. That is not just theory. It's fact. God is unchangeable. God is all-powerful. So you respond in worship. You take steps in response to His character. 
Just like the psalmist in Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, where it says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. I am going to turn my eyes toward the one who has all power. I'm going to turn my attention to the one who has the answers. I am going to worship God. I'm not going to listen to the voices of Pac-Man. The evil one in my ear telling me how bad I am, telling me how impossible it is, telling me how no good I am, or telling me what a rotten whatever I am. And I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to elevate those voices. I'm going to listen to his voice. Some of you feel kind of weak. What do you do? What do you do? Well, you decide, man, I got to power up today. I got to get strong today. Good luck with that. Or you can do what you can do what the Bible teaches us to do. John himself in 1 John 4:4 4, 4, says, "Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world." You already got the victory. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith not just wishy-washy stuff faith in what faith in god faith in the fact that he doesn't change faith faith in the fact that his promises are true faith in the fact that god is able that's where i turn that's where i worship and the result of that is the ability for me to be able to say like paul in first in second timothy 1 12 i know whom i believed and i'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. I might fail. I might have struggles. I may do things that I shouldn't do. I may find myself in, in situations that are, that are sad to me and I pay a penalty and a price for in my life. But that's about me, not about God. It's about me, not about God. You remember when... Remember when uh, when Jonah was told to go to Nineveh and preach, and he was told to preach to them that God, you know, was going to destroy them if they didn't repent. They didn't repent, and so God gave an opportunity. Jonah decided, okay, I'll go. So he went and preached. And in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 10, uh, it indicates there that, that there was a change. Change. God relented, God repented, God changed his mind. Well, you need to understand, when you read the whole context of Jonah chapter 3 and the whole story, God did not change. Nineveh changed. The people repented. (coughs) Excuse me. So it's important to understand God who does not change is consistent. Because he is immutable and because he's unchanging and unchangeable, we are secure. We are secure. And because he is all powerful, we are confident. Confident that he who began a good work in us will perfect it, finish it. See, this kind of worship impacts us every single day. 
Because God who doesn't change and God who's all-powerful is also everywhere. That's for another Sunday. But when you leave here, he's still all-powerful. He still doesn't change. He's still trustworthy. So the thing that we need to do as human beings is we really need to clear out all the fog. We need to eliminate all the voices that are, that are counter to him. We need to start listening more clearly to who he is if we're going to worship rightly, we have to focus completely. And it's with that in mind that the group is going to come up and share this song with us. It's a